today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. So, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who have been saved. This is the word of God. Hi, New Hope. It is wonderful to see all of you. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us today. Thank you for all who have served already this morning through lots of ways. I can't even list the number of ways that people have been serving. Lots of things happen even before most of us walk in this building. Thank you for all for your, thank you all of you for your unseen and seen service to this local body. It may be unseen by us, but it's not unseen. It's never unseen by our Lord. Um, it's uncomfortable in here, I know. Thank you for coming out anyway. I think we all know that God's people throughout history and throughout the world have always gathered to worship Him together on the Lord's Day, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it's convenient or not. Time is carved out, plans are made, and we get together to worship. This is, this is the way that God has worked in His church for, for so, so long, and, and it, it's the way that He'll work for us as well. Um, and, and as someone mentioned, as Che mentioned, being in, a, being in a room like this, on a day like this, may actually help us to empathize and maybe even pray for our brothers in, and sisters in Southeast Asia, in Africa, in South America, for whom uh, this, is, this is a brisk spring day for some of them, right? So we get to pray for them a little bit more knowledgeably. And by the way, also, if you have one of these, a bulletin, Thank you, Tom, for printing these and preparing these. You have a bulletin. Please do read to catch up on the announcements that weren't, um, that weren't uh, you know, announced verbally today. And um, if you need one of these or if you want one, just raise your hand and, um, and someone can get one to you. And by the way, it's not just a bulletin. You have all been provided with your own personal fan today. So you're welcome for that. I don't feel anything, actually, when I did that. I felt <laughs> It's got to be closer, I guess. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as needy people, but we come with confidence because you are the God who provides. You are the God who knows our prayers even before we speak them. You know our needs even before we know what they are. And you have throughout history always provided for your people. You've always guided your people. You've always defended your people. You have always fulfilled your promises to your people. You are faithful, and so we can come to you as often unfaithful men and women and children. Come to you because of the finished work of Jesus, what he did to die and rise again for our sake. We can come to you with confidence, humbly asking that you would help us in every area of our lives and that you would shape us. And so that's what we ask as we're here this morning, that you would help us, 
to worship you and hear your word and understand it and respond to it in faith. But also, Lord, we ask that you would shape us and use us for the purposes that you made us for. Please do this, Lord. We ask it with, in the name of Jesus and with confidence that your spirit can achieve above and beyond what we ask for. Amen. We're in the home stretch of a sermon series we've called The Gathering. It's about corporate worship, and we've been thinking about why we gather as a church on the Lord's Day. And, and hopefully you've seen that there's something unique about the assembling of God's people on this day. The Christian life is not all about gathering or gathering on the Lord's Day. It's not. But, but this, what we're doing right now, has always had a vital place in the life of Christians. What happens here can't happen in your homes when you're alone with your Bible or in the car listening to a podcast, or even in your small group or with a friend or two praying. All of those things matter. All of those things are super important. But this here is unique. It's God's idea, first of all. We saw that in the very first message in this series, that God's the one who created, he's the one who called his people very early on in the book of Exodus to gather before him to worship. And then throughout the history of God's people, throughout the Old Testament, we see him doing the same thing again and again and again. He scatters us as people to serve where we live, but he also gathers us. He gathers us in small groups, but he also gathers us as one united church together. And what we look forward to in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth is actually the culmination of all this when we are, in fact, gathered as one universal body throughout history, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. This is God's idea for us. It's why he says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Because the dynamics of what happens here, they have a power to, to form us, to shape us. They shape us into, what happens here shapes us into worshiping God-centered, faith-filled people. The people that our God wants us to be. And it's not just one Sunday that that happens, right? It doesn't just happen in one Sunday morning. It, it, it's, it happens over years. And that's why it's worth prioritizing the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day. It's why it's worth prioritizing corporate worship. If you missed any of the um, sermons that we've gone that have gone before this one. I invite you to go back. I encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, they're all on our website and they're all on iTunes. We've been looking through each of those messages at each element of what we do here together, right? So we looked at the role of the scriptures and the preaching and the reading of God's word in our services. We looked at the Lord's Supper and the place that that holds in our gatherings. And then last week we looked at the role of song and singing and music. Many of those elements, in fact, if not all of them, are captured in the passage that Jay read to us in Acts 2, 41 to 47. And just to set a little bit of context for that passage, this happens at the very early stages of the, of the church. The, the New Testament church has just been born in Acts 2. Christ has died. He has risen again. He's told his disciples to gather in a place. They're there. The Holy Spirit comes powerfully, gifts them, empowers them. And Peter, one of the apostles, begins to preach. And when he begins to preach, that's where we pick up here in verse 
41. In verse 40, it tells us that many people heard what he was saying and believed. They believed the gospel. They believed not only that Jesus was born and died and rose again, but that he was God, the Son of God, who, had bo- who was born, died, and rose again for them, for the forgiveness of their sins, so that they could be made acceptable to God. And so in verse 41, we read this. So those who had received Peter's words were baptized. So they heard the gospel, they believed, they were baptized. That's the, that's the pattern we see throughout the New Testament. They received his word, they were baptized, and then they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again, that's the pattern we see throughout the New Testament. The gospel is preached, people hear it, they believe it, they're baptized, and then they're added, plugged into, grafted into a local church. 3,000 people were added that day. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves, here's what they did in their gatherings, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need, and day by day they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So 3,000 people injected into the church at the outset, and then it says day by day more people are being added. So the church is growing. It's booming. This is a beautiful portrait of the early church. It, It sounds almost utopian. It's like everything's perfect. It seems so pristine. What are they doing here? They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It means they're, they're studying what the apostles wrote. They're studying the writings of the apostles, God's word. And they're studying the, the teaching of the prophets, God's word. They're engaged in fellowship, community together is what that means. They're breaking bread together, which could mean that they were just eating, but it could also mean that they were partaking in the Lord's Supper together. And they, were engaged, they had all things in common, which meant that they were providing for each other's needs. If anyone had needs, someone else would meet it. And under the societal conditions of that day, in order for them to really provide for everyone's need, they had to kind of engage in this kind of communal life where they were selling stuff and, and giving it and kind of having all things in common. We're not doing that nowadays, but by the grace of God, I hope that we're able to provide for each other's needs nevertheless. And they were praising God, singing to him. And it says what we really want to focus on today is that little phrase at the end of page four, of verse 42 where it says, the prayers. They were devoted to the prayers. And really, we're only talking primarily about the praying that, that happens here in, in this gathering. We're not talking about the prayers necessarily that happen privately in your own home, at work, on a train, with your family, in your care group. All of that matters. All of that is super important. We want to talk more about that. But today, we're just focusing on the prayers that happen here. And by the way, when it it says the prayers there, that word the is actually in the original language. And it indicates that it's not just they devoted themselves to praying. Yeah, we used to pray. No, it's the prayers. So it means that they were dedicating themselves to particular set-apart times of prayer together. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because if we look at the Old Testament, we will see that that corporate prayer has always been a part of the the life of God's people. 
It's always been, not just in the early church, but certainly in the early church. I want to read a quote to you from um, Justin Martyr. He's one of the earliest Christian writers that we know of that, that's not in the Bible. He's not a biblical writer, but he was a Christian, and he wrote about Christianity in his day. So he wrote this about 150 A.D., okay? This is very old. 150 A.D. He says, Justin, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities, that is all Christians who live in cities or in the country, they gather together to one place, and the writings of the apostles or of the prophets are read. And then, when the reader has ceased, the pastor verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. And then we all rise together and pray, he says. You hear that? We, there, there, there's the reading of God's word, there's the instruction, the preaching of God's word, and then we all rise together and pray. And when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the pastor in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings, and the people assent, saying, Amen, and there's a distribution of the bread and the wine to each. Does that sound familiar? There's nothing innovative about what we do here Sunday to Sunday. This sounds very much like what we do on a given Sunday, especially those Sundays when we're observing the Lord's Supper. And prayer is a foundational part of it. They're praying before the teaching or after the teaching. They're praying as they observe the Supper. And they're probably praying lots more at the beginning and the end and all throughout. Throughout the Old Testament even, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that corporate, congregational prayer has always been a part of the life of God's nation of his people, even if we think just about the kind of corporate prayer that happens here. So how do we pray here? There's different ways to pray. How do we do it in this service? Usually, someone comes up here, gets up, and leads all of us in prayer. It's what Tom just did for us. It's what Tim did at the start of our worship gathering. It's what I did just a few moments ago. It's a kind of interceding. Someone comes up here and becomes kind of the mouthpiece for the whole congregation, I hope you realize it's not, it's, not a, it's not a performance, right? He's praying, whoever it is, or she's praying, whoever that sister or brother is, they're speaking for all of us. We even ask people that are praying up here, we say, let's pray we, let's not pray I. Let's pray we and us, because you're speaking for the whole congregation. And the rest of us listen, and if we're listening and we agree, then we can assent with an amen. All the way back uh, in the... In the in early history of God's people, the, the Samuel, the prophet, said these words. He said, gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. He's calling a prayer meeting. He's saying, gather everyone into a congregation. I'm going to lead. I'm going to pray for us. And so they gathered at Mitzpah, and they, and they prayed, we have sinned against the Lord. He confessed, but not just his own sin. He confessed on the part of the whole body. When the temple was built... Solomon, who was king, led the nation in prayer at that dedication. He spoke in the office of king and as a representative for the whole population. In the book of Leviticus, the high priest is told to pray. Not just to pray for himself, he's told to confess the sins of all the people on the Day of Atonement. So he's praying for self and for everyone else. So there's this long history of one person standing to intercede. Now, again, that's not the only way we pray. We can all pray together out loud together. We can take turns and pray in different settings. But here, normally, that's the way we do it in this gathering. And that's why we do it this way in, on the Lord's Day here. And when we do that, at least two things happen. We cry out in humility, and God provides in power. 
we cry out in humility, God provides in power. Let's look at that first one quickly. We cry out in humility. Prayer in the early church wasn't some kind of formalistic ritual. It was, it was planned. It was structured. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can set a, a timer on your phone and say, this is prayer time. That's fine. doesn't mean it's, it's rote or ritualistic. But if you look at Acts 4, which we're going to look at in a moment, we'll see that it wasn't just cold. It wasn't just like, oh, time to pray. Let's do it. I want you to, to turn over, if you have a Bible, to Acts 4. We're going to project it up here and just look at a, a, an amazing scene. And just to set the context, this is soon after what we just read in Acts 2. In this, in this instance, Peter and John, two of the disciples, are, are going to, the, to the, the temple to pray because it's prayer time. It's corporate prayer time. So they're going to the temple. And as they're going there, they, they meet a man who's, who's lame, who, who's, um, who's paralyzed. And he asks for, for, for money. And Peter says, I have nothing to give you, but what I can give you is this. He preaches the gospel to this man, and he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're healed. Get up. Walk. He heals this man. And, and there's, there's, it, it creates a stir, of course. People are super excited to hear about what just happened. But unfortunately, what also happens is Peter and John get arrested. They get arrested. Because of what they were preaching, they were trying to convince people that Jesus had, rose, had risen from the dead. And so what happens is they're arrested, and then they face a tribunal, and eventually they're led off with a warning. But it's a stern warning, and they're in danger. And then we're going to pick up in verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their, look, this is what all their friends were gathered there, right? These are all these Christians gathered. They go and they share with them. Here's what the, what the church does. The church lifts their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of, of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do, listen, all these people were lined up against Jesus. They pray these words. They were there to do whatever your hand, O God, and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I was just talking to Marcelo. He was Marcelo, not my son Marcelo. Marcelo Leboy, who was out in California during some of the recent earthquakes. Maybe someone was praying somewhere. I don't know. The earth was shaken. I don't mean to make light of it. I'm sorry. It was, it was devastating and, and very dangerous. And then it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
So Acts 2, remember, we read before, it sounds so peaceful. Everyone's gathered. They're studying together. They're singing together. They're going to the temple to pray. They're sharing everything. They're, they're growing in favor with everyone. It sounds like a utopian setting. Here, everything took a, a hard left turn. All of a sudden, they're all in danger of imprisonment and maybe even death. Things are looking bad for them. So what do they do? They pray. They pray. But God is not some kind of genie in a bottle to this congregation. They, what, they, what they start doing is they start praying God's words back to him. Look at that sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Those, those words are straight out of the book of Genesis. Then they're quoting the Old Testament there in, in verse 25 and 26. They're, 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 re, they're praying the scriptures back to God. And in doing so, they're affirming his power and his sovereignty. And they're saying, we approach you on your terms, not on our terms. You are God and we're not. And they declare their dependence on him. And that's what prayer is always designed to do. Prayer is the language of humility. Whereby we say to the Lord, you are sovereign. You are God. I'm not. We're not. You're omnipotent. You're omniscient. We're clueless and weak and we need help. And listen, when we pray together as a church, we are saying to our God, we need you. What, what you've called us to do as a church, the very purpose for which we exist, we can't even carry it out apart from you. Our mission is not feasible. Our goals are not realistic. The challenges are overwhelming unless you move, oh God. And the flip side of that is obvious. When we move forward as a church without prayer, we are savoring, saying to our sovereign Lord, we got this. We might need your help later, but right now we're good. The implicit message in every prayerless move is that. I'm fine. I'll let you know if I need help, Lord. It's delusional, frankly. And by the way, that's, that's, that's as true in your private life as it is for us as a church. If you're moving through life prayerlessly, you are delusional. I don't say that to offend you. You are deluded. And God wants to wake you up out of your delusion so that you will see your dependence on him. Prayerlessness is always, choosing not to pray is always an arrogant move. And we are proud, whether we want to admit it or not, when we move through life without prayer. And the danger here is not just that we're not getting the help that we need when we don't ask. It goes further than that. Because James 4 says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So when you're not asking for help and you're exalting yourself, there's this arrogant kind of I got it attitude in the church or individually. You're not just not getting the grace you need. You're also placing yourself in an oppositional position towards God. He opposes the proud. Jesus says in Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's eternal truth for us as individuals, in our families, and as a church. There's a danger in not praying God will humble you. He will humble me. 
And every time we do pray as a church, we're, we're not just saying, I need you. We're also saying, we want you. We desire your nearness because we don't just come to pray with requests, do we? As we prayed today, as Tim prayed, as I prayed, as, as Tom prayed, we didn't just pray with requests. We, we, we come near to God with adoration and praise, affirming who God is and, and honoring him. We come to him with confession. Do you know what that means? Telling him what's on your heart. Sometimes we think of confession as just confessing sin. That's a big part of it. But confession is more than just confessing sin. You confess your sins to God, but you also confess your disappointment to God. Your fear, you confess it to God. Your confusion, you don't know what to do, you confess it to God. We do that as a church, as we're trying to figure out how do we know who, who our deacons should be? How do we know how we should allot um, a mission support to different ministries? How do we know what steps we should take as a church? We confess our confusion to God. And we come with thanksgiving because every good and perfect gift is from him. And finally, we come with supplications. That is asking for things, the things we desire and the things we need. And all of this, when we do all this, we're humbling ourselves. And the actual, the, the cool thing is, is that the actual process of doing this week to week to week actually humbles us more. We learn to be more humble. So we're coming saying, Lord, I come in humility. And God's saying, yes, you are coming in humility, but I have more humility to teach you. And so keep coming back. Keep coming back. And so as we come back as a church, we learn, we learn our dependence more fully. And it's a motive for us to pray in our families. We want to see humility grow in your household. Which one of our households would not benefit from a deeper humility. We pray at several points during our services, typically. We start with an invocation where we ask, God, come. We've come before you. Please come and move by your spirit in us. Empower us to praise you, to worship you, to hear your word. And after we sing, we pray. We continue to pray invocation, and we pray prayers of thanks, as Janine did. You prayed as well, sister. I'm sorry, I forgot. After, the, after, our, after we sang... And then later, during that, that middle part of our service, we pray for lots of different topics. We pray for different ministries, like today, we prayed for a couple. We pray for our missionaries, for other churches, for groups within the church, right? We prayed for single people within the church and for married couples within the church. And we prayed for teachers and employees. And we pray for challenges facing our nation and other nations, whether it's a, a shooting in New Zealand or it's wildfires in California, whatever it is, we bring these cares before the Lord and we ask them to work. Those prayers are not just transition time. It's not just giving us time so we can move the fans around and, uh, and let the, the, the worship team sit down and get some things ready. No, we're engaging our God. And then secondly, and much more quickly, the other thing that happens when we pray corporately and as a church, we cry out in humility, God provides in power. In Acts 4, the gathered believers didn't pray for escape, did they? If you look at that prayer there, they didn't pray for an end to the persecution. You know what they prayed for? They prayed for power and effectiveness in ministry. And God delivers a response. That's an understatement. It's not just a response. It's an earthquake. And then it's the filling of the Spirit. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were already doing that. The Spirit comes and fills them so that they can continue to do that. 
in the face of threats. Here's the hope that we have every time we pray, church. That God will respond in power. And the fact is that he is ready to respond. He is more willing to give us good than we are willing to ask for it. Isaiah 65 says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. You hear what God is saying there? He's ahead of us. We're, ask, we're just starting to ask. He's already bringing the answer. So why wouldn't we pray? And why wouldn't we pray more as a church in these gatherings and outside these gatherings? What if we came with the desperate faith of those believers? What might God do? Faith mixed with a desperate sense of need. What might God do? The Lord is moving. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Maybe, maybe there are ways that you are seeing it. Maybe ways that only some of us are seeing it because it's private stuff going on and we don't all see it. God is adding to us as a church people, even as he takes away some. He's also bringing healing to relationships. He's bringing freedom from addiction. He's bringing freedom from anger. I'm not making this up. This is just a small bit of what I get to see. Maybe you've seen more. He's patiently guiding people, new hope people, into repentance. So let's thank him for that. But he's not tapped out of grace. We, we need more. We're longing for more. And he's got more to give us. Did you know that even now, right now, we have a high priest who is interceding for us before the Father? Did you know that? That the same Christ who died and rose again to bring us to God, he now prays for us. Did you know this? I can't explain it. I can try, but every attempt and every explanation I read, they get close to it, but there's still so much mystery packed into this. Romans 8.34, let's, let's look at this. It, we can project it up. 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, that's past tense, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's now. Praying for us. So even as someone comes up here and intercedes and says, I'm going to be the mouthpiece, I'm going to speak for us to God, and we all say amen, God, Jesus himself is praying before the Father for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, he always lives to make intercession for us. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter in that scene right there in Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, I'm praying for you because Satan wants you, but I'm praying that your faith would not be shaken, that it would not fail. I'm praying that you would repent and that you would continue to serve me. As sure as he prayed for Peter, he's praying for us now. Christ died and he rose again and, and to give us forgiveness and acceptance with God. And if you've never believed that, if you've never turned away from your efforts to build a life for yourself, save yourself, prove yourself, live for yourself, if you've never turned away from all that and believed that Jesus died for you to be your Lord, to be your King, to be your rescuer, then my consistent prayer is that you would, 
If you're, especially, you're here in these gatherings regularly, we're praying for you. It's an open invitation to experience the love of God that's shown to you through Jesus Christ. And if you have believed in him, then know that he prays for you, New Hope. Even now. He continually seeks your good from a father who delights to give you what's good. You see, he's, you see this? He, the, the Christ who wants to give us good is pleading with us to a father whose delight it is, whose desire it is to give us more good. And so when we pray for our good, we're lining up with the desires of the, of the Father and of the Son. And we're doing so in the power of the Spirit who prays in us and through us even when we don't have words to speak. We're not called to be passive as Jesus prays for us. We're called to pray too because of what Jesus did. Because of what he did, we get to and we must New hope. We must, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace together that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And when is the time of need? It's all the time. And as we draw forward towards his throne of grace in confidence and still with humility, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Father will respond in power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have purchased us access to the Father, and we thank you. You have given us your Spirit who prays in us. Thank you. And you yourself intercede for us. Thank you. Lord, do not let us sit by. Do not let us sit by passively as you intercede. But give us the grace we need to intercede for one another to bring our church before you, knowing that as this church's head and chief shepherd and lead pastor, you want our good, and you desire to accomplish your mission through us. Fill us with faith in that. Fill us with your spirit, and help us believe. In Christ's name, amen.